she's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And, and this, this is, is Far Out. Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. I think a lot of people think we sit in the caravan all day and smoke pot. We've had more than one Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think the French are so good at this c'est la vie, this, this whole, oh, that's just, that's just how it goes. Because you guys lost the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we've known. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hey, Alistair, guess what? What? We got our first iTunes review. No way. Yeah, how about you read it to everyone? All right, yeah, I actually have it right here. <laughs> how convenient. <laughs> so this review is from our good friend Lou. So shout out to Lou. And he gave us five stars. And the title of the review was, The couple we all secretly want to be doing things we all secretly want to do. <laughs> Here's what Lou says. Love hearing these two talk about their unconventional life. They are fantastic storytellers and man, do they have stories to tell. They have great energy between each other. Would recommend this podcast to anyone with the desire to imagine new ways of living and being. Man, I really lit up when I read that. Thank you, Lou. Thank That's you, Lou. so nice. Hey there. Hi. This is episode four, and in this episode, we talk about Jeff Goins' book, The Art of Work, and how some of the ideas in it have influenced our own thinking around work and what we do with our lives. We explore beliefs around work that have shaped most of our lives and how we are dealing with those on a day-to-day basis. And also in this episode, I cry a little bit. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> so Jeff Goins wrote a book called The Work of Art, and it's pretty good. And it's kind of a modern take on thinking about work. He bounces through a lot of, I think one of the reasons I like it so much is he bounces through a lot of thinkers I've spent a lot of time with that have influenced me. So you have Carol Dweck and the growth mindset in there. Victor Frankl, Parker Palmer leaves a thumbprint in there. There's a lot of kind of the popular avenues that you'll probably end up falling into if you spend enough time thinking about your purpose and work. So he grabs a lot of the ones that are have been really influential. And I think for good reason. I think the thinkers he he cites are have made interesting contributions and then he uses very modern examples of people finding their calling and yeah the book you could definitely criticize the book for being a bit flowery as far as the language um but it is part motivational but it is also part very practical and i think it gives a good roadmap of what work can look like if we choose it to today all right so julie roxanne what tea are you having i'm having a liver supporting herbal tea nice what are you having i am having pineapple mate and pineapple in french is anan Mm. no no no, it's not it's (laughs) ananas ananas lananas lananas all right my French is messy. It's banana. This this is might be this might be. No, that's right. That's why I was getting confused. <laughs> so, this week, you've been reading a book called "The Art of Work" by Jeff Goins. Yeah. Which I read a couple years ago now, which is crazy to think. I was reading it in Jaisalmer, India, about two years ago, and you just read it, and you've it's kind of had a big impact on the way you're thinking about work and uh and it's been good timing because we've been doing a lot of work lately and so we thought this week we'd talk a little bit about that book because i think there's a lot of value in it and and kind of what uh 
how it's affected us. Yeah, it's definitely been a huge part of the last, I don't know, I want to say three weeks. Maybe I think I started it right before we recorded our first uh, episode. And so it's it's helped me along a, a weird time and a time where a lot of, I think I was exploring a lot of my beliefs around work. And I think it's been, it's been interesting and uh, I wanted to explore that in today's episode and it's good timing for us because um i think this will get into a, maybe a broader conversation a little bit about uh how we approach work and what we think as work we get a lot of kind of glazed over eyes when we when we try to explain <laughs> to other people uh what we do for work yeah and, and what we consider work because a lot of the work we do we're not being paid for but to us i i still call it work and one of the goals of building this caravan and living in it was it give us more time to do our work? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's definitely uh, weird when trying to explain to people what we do. I, I the other the other day, a friend of mine uh, who uh, I called him and he asked me like, "What are your days like? What do you guys do all day?" And I think a lot of people ask themselves that question, and find myself having a lot of trouble really answering that question, especially depending on who asked the question. I think a lot of people think we sit in the caravan all day and smoke pot. That's probably what people... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess that's a fair assumption, but no... What else we, you do when you have a caravan? Yeah, I, I guess, option? especially, man, if you guys could see this caravan now, we got a beautiful color scheme going on with curtains. It's those They're, they're new, secondhand, but new curtains. And we got a supply of incense that would make any temple in India feel ashamed and uh, and and we have a tea collection that is ridiculous we ordered 24 boxes of incense <laughs> that's how many we have and in each box is 12 sticks I think so you do the math I'm not sure what it is but it's a lot so I think it's fair that people might assume that we're smoking pot all day but that is not what we do it's at all far from the truth far from the truth so let's talk a little bit about the book. So Jeff kind of starts off with saying that people have this idea that there's two paths when it comes to work. The first path is this idea of the self-made man, that we're in total control, that we're going to make it, you know, we're going we're gonna to make it happen. And, and, and the other path is the exact opposite. It's fate, destiny, chance, depend, destiny is a bit more in vogue these days than, than chance. And and a little bit of uh, what I think the French would call "c'est la vie." <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, and his argument is there's a third path, which is basically what he what he kind of outlines in the book. And he uses a word that I really like, and I think he probably got it from the same person I got it from, but I'm not sure. But he definitely cites him in the book, which is Parker Palmer. Mm. Uh, and and uh, I I heard the, the word first in Parker Palmer's book vocation oh man what's it listening to your life's calling or... oh no let your life speak oh thank you i yes. was like what the hell? Life, yeah. i don't know that book like <laughs> tell me about <laughs> it i love parker palmer like, <laughs> so yeah parker palmer's book i've read it three times the second time i read it i left my business uh it was it kind of a whole cascade of things mm. happened but basically i let the, the dams down the water just and it was a big uh it's a big eureka moment. And so, okay, so the word is calling. And I really like this word for a lot of reasons. Usually, especially the younger crowd, and I was guilty of this too, always asks, talks about purpose. What's my purpose? Looking for my purpose. Finding my purpose. Mm. And I think purpose is a really one-dimensional word. It doesn't really work for me very well. And... There's a lot of traps, I think, in using that word that aren't really obvious on the surface. But having searched for my purpose for a while, um, I can tell you there definitely are traps in it. And calling is a, uh, I think it's a much more apt word for what we're talking about here. Because we're not talking about a job. We're not talking about one thing. We're basically talking about our life's work, about and and our, and our calling. And I think what's useful about using the word calling is you can answer a calling. You know, if you use the word purpose, 
I have a purpose, right? What's my purpose? Mm -hmm. But a calling is not some, it's, it's calling something you answer. It's a verb. And I think that's part of the power in it is that you answering a calling is an action. It's not something you have. Yeah. I will, I will say that to me, it even sounds like purpose is something you actively have to search for. Whereas a calling is something that was there all along. Yes. Yes, I think that's a really good point. And actually, that's what Jeff Collins talks about yeah. and, and what also Parker Palmer talks about in his book. That's where the journey starts. And I also like the fact that Jeff Collins talks about it as a journey because that seems a lot more how it feels to me than this idea. Purpose feels like uh, that treasure box, you know, that's hidden at the end of the rainbow that keeps yeah. like getting <laughs> keeps yeah. disappearing. That's, yeah. what, that's what that feels like. But journey... I think that's much more descriptive of, of what the experience is like. And the beginning of that, and to back to your point about it's something that's all inside, is that the, he basically starts with the beginning is awareness. Mm. It's being aware of ourselves. And this is why I believe really strongly in developing self-understanding and self-knowledge and, and self-discovery and whatnot, because really the place to start is with yourself mm. and where you came from. And usually a calling, you know, I think maybe a lot of people don't want to hear this, but a, a calling is already there. I think what I hear in the, I think this is still relevant in the difference between purpose and calling is uh, purpose has a very like American culture associated with it in my head. It's like a very go-getter thing. It's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out. I'm going to walk out the front door today. I'm going to find my purpose, you know, because it's somewhere out there. And it's still those, that idea that it's something that ex, that's external of, of you, that it, that is outside of you. Whereas a calling is something that you have and that you you have to pay really close attention and be real quiet to listen, to hear it. And And I think I heard this first very well described by I think it was an interview by Steven Spielberg that I saw a few years ago where he uh, he was sharing that that story for him that he had to listen really hard because it was almost a whisper and that's the thing is it's a whisper and so if you're not quiet if you're constantly filling in the void and 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 going around and doing things and being loud and and putting things in the void basically then you're not going to hear the whisper yeah and i think uh that was some, that was a temptation that i fell into earlier in my 20s was i i got to do this i got to meet that person i got to go to this event i got to read that book i had to do more and more and that's how i was going to find my purpose and that shifted later in my 20s to more of an internal journey and uh it really shifted around parker palmer's book actually when i started listening for my calling. And I think there's something interesting about just riffing off what you were saying there is a purpose is something a machine has. Mm. A, a machine doesn't have calling, but a machine has a purpose. And I and we tend to like to take a lot of our language, you know, as, I think especially as Americans, we love machines. Mm. We just adore technology. And it gets confusing between like us creating the machines and then us kind of creating ourselves in the images of our machines. And and I wonder if this whole purpose confusion might come out of uh come out of that kind of industrialization. Hmm. So Jeff Goins defines a calling as what you have when you look back at your life and make sense of what it's been trying to teach you all along. This sounds a lot this echoes to me like Steve Jobs commencement commencement speech that's really popular on YouTube where he says uh, you can't connect the dots going forward, but looking back, you, you can connect the dots. And, oh. and I'm not going to claim that I know what my calling is. I think that's part of the, this, which is that you never really know. You're always piecing it together and there's always another step on that journey. The journey is never really complete until you're looking back on it. But when I look back, I can see the themes that have led me to here. And there's something really rewarding about this. And I think something that also makes it feel much truer than purpose, which is that in my 20s, when I was working at a startup, when I was hustling and doing all this stuff, when I was working on other people's dreams, I knew I had a sense that 
you know, there's that sense of, man, I'm, I'm meant for something greater or I'm preparing for something later. Mm. And I knew now wasn't the time. Now was the time to work on other people's dreams, be mentored, learn the skills. But something that kind of carried me over through that time, which was really hard, was no, was that, that just uh, incessant belief somewhere deep down that a lot of times I was kind of scared to admit mm. that I was meant for something greater and it would be my time later. Did you ever feel frustration? I mean, was, was frustration a big part of that time that you were, did you want that, that moment to be greater to arrive earlier? Oh, sure. Yeah. because you're working, I was working for people who, from my perspective, that moment had arrived and I was trying to, to emulate them in a lot of ways. I looked up to them mm. and, uh, definitely I was extremely impatient. And I think there's probably, there's a benefit in that because it keeps you going and keeps you, keeps you moving Uh, so I, I won't say it's all bad, but there's definitely a takeaway, a, a drawback from that too, which is a lot of time wasted, kind of worrying, anxious, frustrated. So it, a lot of times it wasn't helpful. I think, how, could, I, could I look on it, back on it now? Uh, that time could have been spent in better places if I, I needed some patience. Yeah, I think maybe that's just, maybe the, the 20s where you're impatient and, and, uh, And worried is it, is just part of the of that that journey, you know. I think like because I say that because I, I there's a podcast that I used to listen to for by Garance Doré and her question at the end of each podcast at the end of each interview she would do the question was like, uh, what would you say to your 20 year old self? And time and time out, I've listened to like maybe 20 different interviews with with 20 people that were from very different backgrounds and, 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 and industries and, and cultures. And all the time, the thing that they were saying was like, stop worrying so much, I'll be okay. Yeah. And I think maybe that's just something you can't, you can't cut, you know? I worry all the time. So there's a few things, a few exercises around this listening to yourself. Uh, I remember one that I, I remember doing years back was you know trying to figure out okay well what did I like to do as a child you know and 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 then another one is like well what do other people think I'm good at and mm. whatnot and I think these are these are good ways to kind of start getting at it and eventually I think it's more of a it's more internal there's another question around this that 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 has helped a lot for me in the past which is and I borrowed this a lot from the Stoics and also from Zen. And most spiritual traditions and philosophies put a lot of emphasis on thinking about our death. And I found that that has been a pretty valuable way to sort out some of the crap, uh, at least filter some of it out. And the question I've used has been, imagine you're lying on your deathbed. You've had a long life. So uh, you're not lying on your deathbed tomorrow. You're lying on your deathbed after a long life. And you're reviewing your life. W what did you regret? Or what would you regret that, that you're currently doing? Mm. Or what would you regret not having done? And I hear this question thrown around a lot. And, but I think it's really powerful if you take it seriously. Because... It allows you to get outside of this current moment and get a larger perspective. And from that perspective of the deathbed, a lot of things I'm doing now completely lose their importance and are obvious that they're not the thing. Mm. Uh, but it's only from that perspective. Like a lot of times I can see it when I step out and think from that perspective, but I don't see it in my day-to-day -day life. And so contemplating that question has been really helpful because I think, and you know what I think it is, I have a theory about this, is I think from that, when you're about to die, you get fear out of the way. You get the uncertainty of, okay, me in this moment, uh, 30-year-old Alistair looking into the future, which is uncertain, and, and there's a lot of kind of fear around that and risk and whatnot. But now, okay, 95-year-old Alistair looking back, like, it's already done mm. uh, and the fear and the uncertainty aren't there anymore and I think that's the trick of that question is that 
what would you do without fear? And that can be really hard to answer in the moment because if you answer it, then maybe you have to do it. So these are some of the things that Jeff Goins recommends you do to listen to your life. And I think they're pretty practical. Consider your own death. Look back on the themes of your life. Get an outside opinion from others, some perspective. And another one he suggests is uh, look at people who do love their life and try to model them. And I think that is definitely valuable. And it leads to the next section, which I really believe in, which is apprenticeships. Hmm. And there's a couple myths that Jeff Goins goes about kind of discussing around work throughout the book. And this kind of leads us back to one we mentioned earlier, which is the myth of the self-made man. The idea that we're supposed to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and do everything ourselves. And it's like, <laughs> it, it works for both the people who haven't done it because it's basically saying, hey, you're in control, you can do it. Like, nothing's stopping you except for yourself. Mm. And it works for the people who've done it because then they can justify that, oh, it was all me and, and I did it all. You know, it's like convenient on both sides. And I think that's part of the reason why this myth is so pervasive, but it's total bullshit. I mean, if we just look at the caravan, yeah, we bought the caravan and renovated it, but it, we only did it because we were invited onto your aunt and uncle's land and that they invited and they took the chance for that opportunity. We needed help. Yeah. And there's been there's been a lot of there's been a lot of help on the way. We we touched on that last last time we we talked in the in the last two episodes of like how did we get here? In a way, what you said like modeling people who have who have done it for themselves. That's what we did when we went to Portugal and we were trying to like see what other people were doing, and that was that was us trying to model even if we ended up. Uh, finding our own particular flavor of doing it, and we'll continue to to uh, to work at that particular flavor that is ours. But it was, yeah, it's exactly what we did: is we looked for mentors and we looked for masters to teach us the craft. You know, like the the because that's what that's what we did as apprentices. And and there's always going to be people who lend you a hand. I mean, at at least in our in our life, I can't I can't even really count all the people that I would want to thank for this caravan happening, because they had a direct link to it. You know, we we keep think we keep saying like, oh, we need to send pictures to that person and that person to let them know what we've done, and it's probably at least ten different people that 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 have had an impact and that have been valuable to this project. We've had more than one Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yes, we've. Yeah. And I think, as a side note, this is a good way to travel. If you want to travel and you also are trying to figure out what the next stage in your life is, uh, which is where I was a few years ago, a great way to travel is with this idea of modeling in your head. Go look anywhere in the world for people doing things that you're interested in, mm. right? Just go and just spend time there and see what happens because all sorts of things can happen. You can end up going in all sorts of directions. That's what happened to us in Portugal. We found out there was a scene in Southwest Portugal that sounded interesting. People were building yurts and doing really weird things. And we decided to go and see what was there. And that really set us off. I mean, we were already leaning this way, but that was really the spark that lit the fire under this caravan was yeah. our time in Portugal. So yeah, if, uh, if, if you want to travel, look, look for places in the world where you can uh, find models. So there's another myth that Jeff talks about, and this is the myth that it should be easy. That one hurts. That one really, really hurts. And I think... That's the starting point of this this shifting of beliefs that I've experienced over the last couple of weeks because because that is a belief I hold dearly that things should be easy and comfortable and uh, and that things should come to me and he says something like that in the book that like your calling doesn't come to you to your front door neatly packaged that like 
chances are it's just going to be a series of chaotic experiences strung together and that what's important is how you react to them and not like what you get and that hurts man it really does because because <laughs> i wasn't raised thinking that i was going to have to do shit. i thought things were just going to get there and and it hurts every time they don't It hurts because it feels like there's a perpetual conflict between between parts of me, the parts that that just wanna lie down and and rest and are overwhelmed, and the parts that realize that no, I, there I need to work. Now is the time to do stuff, and and that has been that has been a really hard thing to explore over the last couple of weeks. One thing that this book has done, though, is is that I I had already seen that belief in me because we talked about it in the in the in the first episode that like I I think I wrote down somewhere in front of my workstation I wrote down a, a thing like it is not true that life is supposed to be easy just to to have a daily reminder that I'm fooling myself and uh, that belief made me feel like I was inadequate. Because there was always, it felt like it felt like there was always something wrong with with me that that everyone else was getting their stuff done, that everyone else was having it easy, and that I was the only one suffering. And I think that if it wasn't easy, then you were doing something wrong. Exactly. He says something in the book that I'm gonna quote. Uh, he says. What I am trying to say here is that a calling takes work. Finding yours will require a fear-facing journey that will last a lifetime. First of all, that has been really hard to read because uh, I, I, I think I didn't, I wasn't willing to think that it was going to last a lifetime. I, I don't know. I don't know about you. I, I don't know about people listening to this, but it feels like that's not what we're being told. We're not told that there's going to be work to do for an, a lifetime. We're told that you go to school, you get a diploma, then you get a job, then you you stay at that job for 40 years, and it's easy and straightforward because people tell you what to do, and then you retire, and life is easy, and and that you, you just that it's going to get easier. I don't know. Maybe maybe because no one talks about the fact that it's hard. And so it it made me really think that I was doing something wrong. This has helped me because I realized that I'm not inadequate, that my life is not hard because of me or because because I'm I'm a failure or because something's wrong with me, like inherently wrong with me. It's just because if my life is hard, it's probably because I'm doing it right. Because I'm like accepting the fear-facing journey instead of like hiding in 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 a job that I don't like, and because I could have done that. I mean, I I don't know if I could have because I was miserable, but I could have stayed in that job and just like pushed down those feelings that something was something greater was awaiting me and not answered the calling. I think there's a dangerous message that can be interpreted that's not being said here is that. It's just because it's not supposed to be easy. I mean, I think the reverse can also is also true, right? It's not supposed to be hard. And what I mean by that is that believing that it should be easy or believing that it should be hard are both are both kind of mistakes, just in different directions, right? Sure, yeah. um, and it's really about not having so much of an expectation about what it should be. Do you know how to not have an expectation about how things should be? No, I don't. I usually have expectations about how it should be. But I think if I'm able to keep in mind that those are only expectations, if I'm able to draw a line between it as a belief and it is something that I want, it becomes easier to deal with. Because if I believe life should be easy and then it's not, Unless I'm going to change my belief that life sh is easy, then I have to fault myself, right? But if if I want life to be easy and it's not, I can say, well, oh, maybe I, you know, shouldn't want that, or maybe or maybe I can just see that that's a want and it's not something that's actual, actually real. And even that, 
you know, that sounds like splitting hairs almost, but I think it, it can make a big difference. No, it does. I think it does make a big difference. I think what's really hard about this is realizing that you have a belief to start to begin mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's the hard part. And once you realize, then it's, I feel like since since I've realized this, I just can't not see it. It's all the time. And and I think my first instinct is to like try to combat that belief and say, okay, I'm going to replace it with another belief. But man, this thing has deep, deep, deep roots that are like even scary to look at because I don't know, I don't know how deep this thing goes, but it feels like it's, it's, it's part of me and now like I see it all around me in the people that raised me you know like I see the way my mom has this exact same belief that like life should be easy and man it feels like she's fighting against windmills all the time and god I don't want to spend my life fighting windmills I don't want to spend my life fighting So one of the dangers is that we do replace it with another belief that life should be hard, which is equally unserving. Mm -hmm. But there is a way, a little bit of a way to do some jujitsu with this and and turn turn this around in a way that can be serving, which Jeff Goins talks about as painful practice. And this is basically the idea that what's difficult can be kind of signposts toward our calling or toward the things that we are meant to do. One thing I like here that he talks about is uh, he talks about how the idea of 10,000 hours, which I think was a Malcolm Gladwell idea, but I think even he took it from someone else, so I don't remember, but basically the idea was, and I think this was in his book Outliers, was 10,000 hours. That's what it takes to become a master, you know, and it was basically like one metric. How much time are you putting in? Mm. And Jeff points out that uh, through through the work of Anders Ericsson, who I actually haven't read, he's a Swedish psychologist, that no, yeah, 10,000 hours is part of it, but it's the quality of the hours. It's the type of hours you're putting into it. That makes sense. So he kind of gives three things that these hours need to have. Uh, so one is it requires context. So there needs to be time and energy put into it. There's trainers, teaching materials, facilities. So you need these things. The activity should must must not be inherently motivating, and this is basically the idea that some strain and stress leads to growth. The same way we go to the gym, this you know it's the same way you grow your muscles by stressing them and tearing them slightly, and then they grow back stronger. We have to push ourselves a little bit to grow back stronger. Otherwise, there's no reason to grow. And then third is the activity cannot be done very long without leading to exhaustion. It's challenging. And the bottom line is that most people aren't going to continue to do things that are difficult if they're not passionate about them. And so if you find that you found something that you can keep doing that's difficult, you might be onto something. You're at least going down an interesting avenue. And this is this is a total flip from the it should be easy idea, which is, oh, my passion should be easy. It should be something that I just love to do. And and then if you, you, in that case, you might not even, you might disregard something that, that you really enjoy doing because or you think, oh, it's, it's too difficult. It should be easier than this. And so I think that flip is a, a really valuable way to think about it. Because, for example, in my life, a couple of these for me has been trekking. Trekking has never been easy for me, but it's something that I, for some reason, continue to do anyway. And mm-hmm. writing for the last three years now I've been writing. And that's also something that has never been easy for me. Right now I'm writing a piece, taking, I think I've been on it for 10 days and I, I'm still just barely through the second draft. It's not easy. I get exhausted easily. I get turned into a zombie, but I keep coming back to it. And I think that that is the interesting part is do you keep coming back to it even after you get exhausted after you like kind of get pushed to the wall, pushed to the limit. Is it something you're willing to suffer for? Yeah, it's that's interesting to hear you re-describe this part of the book because I realize that maybe the thing that I keep coming back to, even when I don't want to, and and when I'm tired and exhausted, and I think, and I think it should have to be this hard, is like self-exploration and healing and growing. I just keep going back there 
even though it hurts like crazy every time and I wonder why 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 do I do that why do I even bother why why don't I just settle for not knowing or not not knowing what not knowing myself not exploring myself not not, not knowing my patterns and could it might may, maybe be because that's actually more painful of course yeah it is more painful to not know It doesn't seem to be like that for everyone, but at least for me it is. I think this links back to, to the, the thing that he says something like that in the beginning of the book is like a, a calling is the answer to the question, what can't I not do? That has been easier for me to answer because I, I see the things that I can't not do. This goes back to uh, the whole why calling is such a valuable word because... Calling is not always what you want to do, right? Yeah. And it's not something, in my case, a lot of times, that has not been something I've chosen. Like, well, I, I mean, that's 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 not the right way. It it's almost imposed on you, or or emerges through the life you've lived. But there is an element of choosing, or because you you choose to answer the calling or not answer it. But there's also an element of not choosing, which is that this calling kind of picked you. You got called for this. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a difficult, that's difficult, that, that kind of dynamic to manage. I think it's difficult to navigate that territory between voluntary and involuntary. Just as it in the book, and I really like this, is that It is. It's it's kind of a combination between the mystical and the practical, right? And there's no way of getting around that. There is serendipity in your calling. There's When I look back, there are so many things that in the rear view mirror are hard to explain. They seem destined. Mm. But on the day-to-day basis, it's practical. It's what can I do today? It's taking one step, one more step, putting one foot in front of the other. There, it's a very practical thing on a day-to-day basis. But on the longer term, it can feel very mystical. A lot of things kind of... It's kind of that whole creating your own luck, I think. This makes me think of one of my favorite songs, a French song. That's It's it's about someone who's from the south, where so the southeast, like Provence, where I'm from, and the song goes something like, uh, "I'm from the south, and by all and all the paths lead me back there," and I think that's that's how it feels about like what feels like my calling. It's it's a place that keeps calling me back, and and all the paths lead me to there, even when I don't want to go back there, and. I think a calling might be as mystical as the place you were born in or like the culture you inherit. You didn't choose the culture you inherit or the or the place that that reminds you of home and of a sense of like uh being a child and and all that. It's it's something that is it's you you're born into it and I think I think we're born into our callings and we each have something to to do that no matter how much we try to not do it because we don't want to sometimes we'll still have to do it i don't i don't i don't really know if i have a choice in this or not you know like you said you can choose to not answer it or answer it but i don't know if i really can choose not to answer it i i'm not sure if that's that's true can you sing that song in french <laughs> Just that part, just the part that, that, uh, that I said then. I want to sing the whole song now. <laughs> J'ai dans la voix quelque part de la mélancolie. Mélange d'un chant barbare et de vin d'Italie. Des colères monumentales que les dieux m'ont soufflé. Des discours interminables après le déjeuner. Je viens du sud 
Et par tous les chemins, j'y reviens. Hmm. I think the French are so good at this c'est la vie, this, this whole, oh, that's just, that's just how it goes. It's because you guys lost the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> like us Americans, of course we want to think it's all us. We're on top right now. You know, even, you know, and and you guys like, and of course you want to think it, it's just how it goes. Because <laughs> you guys blew it. <laughs> we didn't blow it. We've been doing this for long enough that people actually revolted. Your time is coming, my yeah, friends. Yeah, your, yeah. Time, your time is coming. Oh, uh, say la vie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fatalism and a melancholy to being, to being French that I, I don't think I ever perceived before meeting you, before, ex before exchanging our cultures and like talking about this. The, and there's an exuberance and an optimism that you hear about about yourself as an American, but you don't realize it till you go to France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so one other thing, and then uh, we'll move on from this myth, but it should be easy. Is you know, so we're working on a retreat. Mm -hmm. We are taking fourteen people uh, with a couple friends of ours, Lou and Kelly, yeah. uh, and we're we're going to lead people through a ten day backpacking experience through Yosemite Wilderness. We were in Yosemite earlier this year. We did the trip we're going to take people on. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And it's really powerful. Anyway, I was sharing this retreat that we're doing with a friend of mine, a close friend of mine back home, who's uh, in the corporate world. And his response, I think, kind of captures this myth, which was, how did you fall into that? <laughs> We we this 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 question has been with us. We've been th we've been thinking about it a lot. If you think about the use of that fall, that implies that gravity brought you down. Uh, you you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And it's like it was not you. You just fell into it. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> what? It, it, there was no retreat. We created it. You know, and yeah. I, I just I looked at that email and I was like, ah. <laughs> Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> But see, one thing, one thing that that this book has also highlighted for me that also have been has been painful is is that this life, this this answering your calling every day and continuing to do so, it's a demanding life because we're the sole people responsible for it. Like, I I realize that I keep waiting for someone to tell me what to do. I keep waiting for for like my my boss to to like send me an email and say okay tomorrow you'll do this and the day after you you'll do this because then then I don't have to take any responsibility and then it's easy and I think like I I don't know because I I can't say that I have been in the corporate world per se but I have a feeling that that's that's something that happens in that world where the responsibility is 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 on your superior is on someone that is above you that tells you what to do i guess and 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 well, the corporate world is is great at passing the buck at every level <laughs> yeah 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 and uh and so i think yeah i think this links to this how did you fall into that is uh, it's like who told you to who 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 pointed you to that i think it links to this me waiting for someone to tell me what to do and i notice i do it with you like I, i like i wish for you to tell me what to do and and sometimes sometimes you share ideas but you you don't you're not my boss in this and and you don't you don't tell me what to do and it's i wonder if i'm gonna push myself enough if i'm the only person that gets to uh, call the shots and like the the if i'm the only person that tells myself That that makes my own schedule and stuff. Like, will I still push myself enough? Well, I think this is a good question, and Jeff answers it. We're skipping ahead a little bit now, but one of the ways Jeff answers that question is realizing that your calling is bigger than you, and seeing that is what really motivates you, or what can really motivate you. Yeah. And in regards to that me waiting for someone to tell me what to do i realized when my friend asked me on the phone the other day like what do you day what 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 do your days look like what what is your what what work are you doing 
I realized when he asked me, the work, the biggest part of the work on a day-to-day basis is like figuring out where to direct my energy and attention to. And for instance, over the last few days, I've felt really off. And I think that the, the, had I been more experienced at this, that probably should have been my cue like three days ago to that what really needed my attention and energy was rest. And that would have made it part of the work. And this is how rest becomes work is when you do, when you know that it's needed and that's what's needed in that very instant. And I I still feel that it's hard for me to, to, to do that because rest is not work. You know, like it, it, there's, it creates a, it creates something off in my head that rest shouldn't be work. But if this is where I direct my energy and attention to, then it is work. I don't think I would agree with that, that rest is work. I think it can support work. It can be an important counterpart to work. But as soon as you start seeing it as work, how can it stay rest? Well... It's it's that's a good question, but maybe seeing it more in terms of when you go to the gym and 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 you try to gain muscles, you're gonna lift weights and then you're gonna take a rest day so that the muscles can recover and and that's when the growth happens, right? That's mm-hmm. when the work actually pays off. It's part of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think it, it, I think it's more in that sense that I would say that rest is work. Okay. So this painful practice idea is basically the idea that what you're willing to do and you keep returning to that's also painful and difficult might be a good sign toward your calling. Mm-hmm. And that's been really true in my life. So the third myth is you'll just know. This is that per, that this is Sally back in high school that knows she wants to be a doctor since she was 9 years old is already on the path her parents are doctors she knows and you're just like why can't I be Sally mm. why don't I know I think we all have that person in our life that we're just so envious of because it looks from the outside like they just know yeah and then that becomes our model for passion and for what our calling is. And there's a much more inspiring model that, or example that Jeff Goins uses in this book is basically the journey. That there's a lot of false steps, that it's kind of a mess and it's a, bu- a bunch of different things. And then you look back and you realize that there's a zigzagging line through all those things that, that is your calling. But it's not this, for most of us, it's not this straight, linear chart that goes, you know, just from one, the bottom left corner to the top right yeah. corner. It's not like that. Yeah, around the you just know uh, myth, he he makes a, a nice parallel between that and the same myth in love and relationships, how you're supposed to just know, and that should make it easy. And this whole chapter was really, really amazing. This is also where he talks about the fact that your calling is 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 supposed to arrive one day neatly packaged at your do- doorstep, and uh, and there's just this quote that I really liked, where he said, uh, "We all want to believe we have the opportunity to find a life of meaning and purpose to do work that matters. So why does such a life seem so evasive, and why is it so rare?" Because we've believed in we've believed in this myth that we'll just know when it's time to commit, and that's hardly ever the case. Commitment is costly; it should scare us, and I think that really says it for me. Because I I think yeah, it's just, it should be easy. It shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be painful. It's it's exactly it's just all that, and it's like the parts of me are like yeah, but that's all we've known. What are you talking about? <laughs> So there's this other kind of belief that I think happens around work uh, is that, and this this gets into a little bit of why it's been really hard to talk to people about our work, because people think that your work is what you do for money, and that's a job. What we're talking about is what we do with our lives, which is equally hard 
if not harder a lot of the times but i there's a, it's hard to talk to people about that yeah it is actually it's funny when you just said that i realized that in french it's the same word for job and work it's mm. travail Ah. There's no you can say boulot for job but but most of the time it's like c'est quoi ton travail what is your job what is your work and it's the same word so it makes it even harder uh but yeah I've noticed one ra reading this book I've realized just how much I've had that belief that it's only for money that working is only for money and I remember that when I left my job and I started traveling my goal was to not work for as long as I could And that was my that was my main goal is to not work. And I remember when when we met, you were so serious and you were like you already had all these ideas around work that I had not been exposed to and and you would go off in the morning and have your days structured and like do your workouts and then go have your coffee and then work. And I used to think like, geez, that guy's such a nerd. <laughs> Man, just relax. We're 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 traveling. We're supposed to like not give a care. This is when we get to do this. And no, he was he went back to the work every day and and I didn't understand his I didn't understand his attitude. I didn't understand you, man. I I just it's like what the hell is this guy doing? He's not he's missing the whole point. I think we've all gone down that path of okay, I'm just not going to work for as long as possible. But that path is a dead end. And as sooner or later, it, it's pretty boring. That's the that's the thing, actually. I think that's the main thing that happened for me, and that's the thing that I'm starting to realize now. I think this this book has helped me understand that, man. Without work, I just get I just get bored. And this is where I think it's useful to come up with a, a definition of work. And I think my working my working definition of work, my best <laughs> definition currently is what am i willing to suffer for because that's i think work is in a way it sounds kind of morbid but it's not it's it's the things i'm willing to suffer for it's the things i'm willing to work on that's what work is for me that's 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 a that's an interesting definition i don't think i ever heard you say that sure there are times where work's fun and fulfilling and satisfying no doubt yeah and and i do it for a lot of that But if I'm looking at the day-to-day, -day, you know, it's not rainbows. It's uh, it, a lot of more time. It's frustration. It's kind of feelings of being lost. It's uh, dealing with a lot of that mental baggage that, that we've been talking about on the show and working through that. And I think ultimately it's for me and it's for the people that my work reaches. Hmm. Yeah, see, I don't know. I don't know if I have a definition of work yet because because that that one, as much as that one, uh, spark like sparks interesting thoughts for me. It's also, it also, I just also feel a huge amount of resistance in in me of like, oh no, no 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 no. That's just that's that's all I feel, and I think I'll try to find my own. Uh, definition of work something that 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 feels more suited I think it would be helpful to have something else I think there's something he said in the book actually he's talking about this exact thing of the work not being about money and it's also just being about having a, a life well lived and he said something about work is supposed to make us not only richer but better and i think for me it's what's the work is what makes me better probably it's that still there's a lot of resistance in me like no no i don't want to be better i'm good the way i am but victor frankl gave a a, a good description and victor frankl wrote the immensely man's popular man's man's search, search for, for meaning, meaning which i don't know how many times i've read now and and i don't know how many times i've told other people to read that book but he says three things give meaning to life first a project to work on second a significant relationship and third a redemptive view of suffering a way to put meaning into our suffering i've read victor frankl this year but the art of work has definitely helped me understand it more practically more on a experiential level than just what I got out of the book uh, on its own. Oh, yeah.
so another concept that was probably the most influential to me when I read this a couple of years ago was this was his idea of what he calls the portfolio life. Basically, that our life is going to be a lot of different things. And these together are a calling, not just your job, right? Your job is not not a calling on its own. It's it's basically it's your life's work. And this is in a lot of different areas. And for me, this is kind of opened up a different way to approach work as a bunch of little bunch of different projects that all have common themes that are going in the same direction. And it's been a it's actually freed me up a lot to do work that I probably wouldn't have considered doing before because I can see that the themes relate even though the work is wildly different. We're doing a retreat earlier last last summer I made eco-friendly greeting cards. We're building this caravan. We're doing a podcast. I'm writing. All these things have themes in common that I can see that are guiding me. And I think before, especially with if I was thinking about is what is my purpose, I would just write these things off. Mm. I would be too narrowly looking for one thing to embrace all these things. And the truth is that each one of them has been instructive and it's been like a leapfrog. It's kind of been jumping from lily pad to lily pad. And a lot of times when I look back, I can see that they were more like stairs, actually, but they didn't look like them at the time. They seemed wildly different directions. Mm. But looking back on them, I can see that there's some logic to it and that I'm feeling things out in the dark a bit. And I think that this portfolio life leads into uh, another myth that I notice a lot, which is that you have one purpose. Mm -hmm. And once you find it, boom, game over, you know, and, and you have the answer, you know, and I think this is just, I think the purpose is like a placeholder for existential suffering, which is part of the human, (laughs) this part of the human life. And a purpose isn't going to take that away. You know, you're just, it's, it's still going to be there. And I think for me, I know that I thought if I just know what my purpose is, it'll all go away and life will be easy again. Yeah. Yeah, this this feels exactly like what I said earlier about the whole you go you go to college, you get a diploma, and then and then you get a job, and those those things it's like you get like illuminated with your finding your purpose in high school, just right around the time where you need to apply for colleges, and you know exactly <laughs> where you're gonna study for the time there, and then you're gonna come out and you're gonna be so good at, at your in your purpose field that you're just gonna find a great job and make a huge contribution just in that one. One specific area and it's going to be defined and easy it's going to have structure and boundaries it's not going to be messy and chaotic and all over the place and you'll regret nothing on your deathbed nothing I think this is a good place to stop hey thank you for tuning in with us today we've had a lot of fun recording this conversation it's been really interesting We hope you have enjoyed it. There's a few ways you can support the podcast. The first is leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to it or on Apple iTunes. Say leave a review. Don't tell people how much to give us. Okay. I think I think that's weird. But I, but I want them to leave me a five-star review. You <laughs> 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 want them to leave me a review. <laughs> Isn't that just being honest? Uh, I think this. I think you're right. Okay. <laughs> you can find the show notes at thefaroutpodcast.com, and you can email us with any questions or comments about the show at host at thefaroutpodcast.com. Please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. We'll see you next episode. Well, we won't. We won't see him, will we? That's just that's. That's what people say. (laughs) Toodles!